Thanks for popping on your headphones and joining us for an episode of Ballsy History, a podcast about big personalities and little-known stories. Settle in for a tour of the outrageous acts, incredible stories, and outsized characters that shape history. We're your hosts, Elizabeth, Elise, Elliot, and Maureen. We're glad you're tuning in. Today on our show, we'll learn about the Matilda effect, a term coined by science historian Margaret W. Rossiter to describe how female scientists have been erased from history by being ignored, denied credit, or not listed for their work, with contributions attributed to their male colleagues or husbands. Women in science have found their work demoted to footnotes at best or rendered invisible at worst. If the list of female scientists you can think of starts and ends with Marie Curie, it's not just you, it's more likely the Matilda effect. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy, the Matilda Effect recognizes that, on a personal level, undermining a person's achievements affects their future performance. But on a societal level, discounting and underestimating the contributions of women prevents them from succeeding. And what about all those lost stories of women? We'll be sharing a few that deserve a chance to grab their glory with you today. Before there was the Matilda effect, there was the Matthew effect, described by sociologist Robert K. Merton as the tendency to give prominent scientists more credit than their unknown colleagues, even if their achievements were similar. He wrote, The Matthew effect consists in the accruing of greater increments of recognition for particular scientific contributions to scientists of considerable repute, and the withholding of such recognition from scientists who have not yet made their mark. It was named Matthew after the parable of the talents in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's wind backward in time to the 12th century and land in the southern Italian city of Salerno. At the time, because it was a trading post between Africa and Europe, the area became an epicenter of medieval medical reform. New cures and medicines coming from Africa were tested alongside European practices. It was here that a medicine woman, Prota of Salerno, lived and practiced. She promoted cleanliness, exercise, balanced diet, and the avoidance of stress. Sound familiar? Her writing on treatment for women became the most widely disseminated and translated work on women's medicine in later medieval Europe. Her fame spread as far away as France and England, but her outlandish fate certainly illustrates the Matilda effect. As her writings were handed down, 
Proto was not only mistaken for a man, but for a group of men. By the time she was recognized as a woman again, it was assumed she must be the wife or assistant of a male doctor. Trota was not rescued from historical oblivion until the 20th century, when feminist writers such as Rossiter wrote about her. It should be noted, though, that no independent biographical information on Trota of Salerno exists. We only know what we do because of information gleaned from writings associated with it. Why did Rossiter choose the name Matilda to define her observed effect? She named the term Matilda effect after suffragist and abolitionist Matilda Joslyn Gage, who penned an essay in 1893 called Woman as an Inventor, in which she protested that the common assertion that women possesses no inventive or mechanical genius. This work documented women's vital discoveries and inventions from ancient times to her own, easily disproving the common assertion. Women's important contributions have been overlooked, ignored, and minimalized in history, and credit for their inventions many times went to men. It was not, however, the patriarchy that wrote Matilda Gage out of history. The people who marginalized Gage were two fellow suffragist collaborators, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. After a falling out, they removed her name from their joint writings. Alice Augusta Ball was an African-American chemist from Seattle, Washington, who pioneered what became known as the Dean Method, a revolutionary treatment for leprosy. This was the first injectable leprosy treatment, and it used oil from the Chalmuga tree, which up until then was only a moderately successful topical agent in Chinese and Indian medicine. She successfully isolated the oil into fatty acid components of different molecular weights, which allowed her to manipulate the oil into a water-soluble, injectable form. She conducted her research at the University of Hawaii and died tragically at the age of 24 in what was likely a lab accident before the results could be published. University President Dr. Arthur Dean, who had co-taught chemistry classes with Ball, continued her work but didn't mention her key contributions. Dean claimed credit and published their work under his name as the Dean Method. In 1922, six years after her death, Dr. Harry T. Hallman, the assistant surgeon at Kalihi Hospital, published a paper giving Ball the right credit for her work. Even this wasn't enough to stop her name from fading. It wasn't until decades later that the scant archival trail of Alice Ball was rediscovered and she was recognized at last. The former Lieutenant Governor of Hawaii declared February 29th Alice Ball Day. And in 2007, the University of Hawaii posthumously awarded her the Regents Medal of Distinction. In 2017, scholar Paul Wermaker established the Alice Augusta Ball Endowed Scholarship 
to support students in the College of Natural Sciences. Let's learn about one more woman whose story was largely lost to time, astronomer Wilhelmina Fleming. The popular version of her story goes like this. She was hired to work as a maid for an astronomer who got frustrated with his staff at Harvard and exclaimed, My Scotch maid could do better. To make his point, he gave Fleming a promotion to join the observatory staff where she became one of the most prominent female astronomers in the world. But let's learn a bit more about her. Fleming was born on May 15, 1857 in Dundee, Scotland. She eventually married and immigrated to Boston, Massachusetts, where, most sources say, her husband abandoned her, leaving Fleming pregnant and alone in a new country. She took a position as a maid at the home of Edward Charles Pickering, director of the Harvard Observatory. Indeed, he did provide her with an observatory position and taught her how to analyze photographic glass plates of the stars. Fleming was not the only woman working in the observatory. Pickering employed women to calculate the positions of stars as women were cheaper to employ than men. She personally classified roughly 10,000 stars in the new catalog of stars published in 1890, and in 1893, she published an article in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics called A Field for Women's Work in Astronomy, advocating for more women to work in the sciences. Fleming was promoted to curator of astronomical photographs, the first woman ever to hold a Harvard University title. As the supervisor of about 15 other women, she used her new position to protest the unequal pay the women received to no avail. In her 30-year career, Fleming discovered 10 exploding stars and more than 200 variable stars. She also developed a new star classification system. Fleming was considered the leading female astronomer of her day and her achievements opened up the field of astronomy for women. Fleming was awarded honorary memberships in the Royal Astronomical Society and the French and Mexican Astronomical Societies, and she was one of 11 women charter members of the American Astronomical Society. After her death from pneumonia at the age of 54, Fleming was succeeded by her protege, Annie Jump Cannon. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Ballsy History. Tune in next week to hear a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.